Transcendent Tracks, a podcast that connects you with stories about music's powerful ability to impact our lives. I'm Daniel, your host and lifelong music lover. I talk with musicians, music scholars, music writers, and especially music fans to explore the tracks that have inspired and influenced them most. As of today, three U.S. universities offer academic courses on Taylor Swift. Why? She has been cited as one of the greatest songwriters of her generation and of all time. She's broken various records for awards received, music sold and streamed, chart placement of albums and songs, and touring success. All this from an artist who began her career as a teenager in Nashville and has since explored multiple genres, directed, acted, produced, and developed into a person of powerful influence. At only 32 years old, Taylor is now essentially an institution in the music world with diehard fans and students literally studying her works. So fittingly, today's guest is my friend, self-proclaimed mega Swifty, and university professor Katie Head, who will give us a crash course on all things TS. Katie, hi, thank you so much for coming to talk to me today about Taylor Swift. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I take any opportunity to talk about Taylor. So in that case, tell me a little about how you first discovered her and when was that? So um, I can remember when Taylor Swift first started releasing singles. It was around 2006, 2007. Her first album had come out and the first couple of singles I was interested in, you know, I grew up in Texas. I listened to country music. So of course I was exposed to her and her first single, the first song she debuted to the world was a song called Tim McGraw, which was a nice kind of homage to a musician she really respected. But it was a very cute song because it was about a summer spent with a boyfriend and sort of, you know, when you think Tim McGraw, think of me. So it was cute. You know, I wasn't hooked yet, though. Um, the next single was a little hokey. It was called Teardrops on My Guitar. She was pining after a boy at her high school. And, Cute again, but you know, it's fine. But the third single that she released from her first album was a song called Our Song. And it was a play on the idea that all relationships should have like a couple song. And so she's speaking to her boyfriend in the song and saying, you know, we don't have a song. What's our song? And so the chorus is reflecting on all the sounds of their relationship, like the slamming screen door or tapping on your window or your laugh. And it was just such a beautiful sort of, I don't know, a lyrical twist on thinking about what our song would be. And I was like, that's brilliant. That's so cool. And I think that's what hooked me. And then the fourth single from that album was a song called Picture to Burn, which is about going through a pretty nasty breakup as an emotional teenage person. And uh, it's very sassy, <laughs> very feisty. And I myself was going through a breakup, a similar breakup at that time. And it just captured what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say and how I felt about this person. So I, I have to say, I don't know if I was a mega fan from the start, you know, the first couple of songs that came out. But as I started to understand her ability to sort of lyrically take us on a journey or explore a moment or explore a relationship, um, I was definitely hooked. And then, you know, from there, I have just stayed a fan. There was something you said about, well, at least the first three you mentioned were specifically about, you know, teenage love or teenage heartbreak, that sort of thing. I know she was of that age. How old was she when that first album came out? I was just trying to think about 
how old she was when she was actually doing that writing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So her very first album came out in 2006. So she'd been writing the songs for a couple of years before that. And we will never forget that Taylor Swift was born in 1989. She has an album by that name. So she was about 14, 15 when she was writing a lot of these songs. And so it really shows you that she just, you know, came out of the gate swinging, thinking about my relationship with Taylor Swift and and that I've stayed a fan for so long. I connected with a lot of songs on that album. I'm a few years older than her, but, you know, she still is capturing a lot of the things that I go through at my different stages of life. But, you know, for a lot of artists that come out swinging like that, they often have a sophomore slump, right? Her second album was an album called Fearless. Every single song is perfection. She was the youngest person to ever win Grammy Album of the Year for that sophomore album. And so from there, she had just continued to produce really strong, narratively intricate songs. Um, She's explored different genres. She's explored different topics as she's grown, as she's become more aware of the world. And so, you know, I think when we think about our relationships with the artists that we're very connected to, sometimes those things kind of come and go. We have somebody we were connected to when we were younger, different stages in our life. But I think for a lot of people who are fans of of Taylor Swift, and and I know there are other artists where their fans have similar relationships, but for for us Swifties, um, we've been able to just continue to develop that relationship with her because she just keeps bringing her A-game every time. So you mentioned her beginning to explore different genres. And I know she started out in country music. And then wasn't there some criticism of her moving away from country and into pop, but then criticism because she was in pop and too country? Can you speak to that a little bit? Taylor has talked about how she was drawn to country music. She grew up in Pennsylvania, convinced her parents to move to Nashville when she was about 12 or 13. She just knew this is what she wanted to do. And she's talked about how a lot of her influences were country artists who also had pop appeal. So there were always sort of pop undertones to her music in the first two albums. Um, Speak Now is her third album, and we definitely see some pop influences coming there, but it was still considered kind of a pop country album. Red was her next album. That one definitely moved her into the pop realm. But when people talk about Taylor Swift and sort of her evolution from a country star to fully a pop star, it's the album 1989 that people say she fully made the transition from country star to pop star. And it's, I think, one of the best pop albums of all time. It has just um, all the things you want in a good pop album. And she could just stay there, right? But she continued to explore different genres. In the past couple of years during COVID, she released an album called Folklore and then also the sister album a few months later called Evermore. And in those songs, she's um, exploring sort of indie, folk, rock kind of music. She's working with the Nationals, Aaron Desner, Bonnie Vare, other artists like that to really sort of explore that sound. And so I think as a fan, I love that. I love that as she's exploring and taking on different genres and different identities in her music, she brings her fans along. She doesn't ever 
abandon the the truth and the honesty and sort of the narrative prowess that she shows in her songs or the honesty she brings to exploring emotions or relationships or whatever. Um, but the sounds evolve and change. And so as we anticipate her new album, which would be coming out October 21st, midnight, we were like, what is it going to sound like? We don't know. And I think we're excited by that. Hey, Katie, tell me about the experiences of her live shows. Her live shows are amazing. And sometimes I think when you have an artist, a recording artist who does such amazing stuff in the studio, you never quite know what you're going to get when you go see them live. Um, like everything Taylor Swift does, though, she brings it to her live performances. I've been to seven Taylor Swift performances at live performances, and I've not been disappointed in any of them. And similar to earlier when I was talking about sort of her evolution across her different albums. You can see that in her shows as well. Taylor was someone who was not afraid to pay her dues. She was an opening act for so many people. She played at festivals and parades. For anybody who is from Texas, you'll be familiar with the Houston Rodeo. Mm-hmm. And the Houston Rodeo happens every spring. It lasts a few weeks long. Every night, there's sort of a main event at the rodeo. After that main event, they have a musician perform. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are usually local acts. But then Thursday, Friday, Saturday are sort of your your main acts. That's the the Tim McGraws and the George Straits and the Alan Jacksons. And I've seen all of those people there and it's great. And they just give like an hour, hour and a half show right there in the rodeo arena. So my very first performance, my very first time seeing Taylor Swift live was at the Houston Rodeo. I had become a fan. My my best friend, Melissa, had become a fan. I was actually living in Houston at the time. And we went to the show. Um, we had to watch whatever the show <laughs> event was. And then Taylor Swift was you know, driven out in a pickup truck and she gave a performance. And she's on a stage in the middle of a rodeo arena. And it was amazing. It was great. She brought it. She She sang. She played the guitar. She wore a sparkly dress with cowgirl boots. And my friend Melissa and I, I mean, we we loved it. We had such a nice time. Now, contrast that with her stadium tours, which are crazy, big, huge productions. One of the things that Taylor excels at is storytelling. It is at the heart of all of her creative energy. We mostly see it through her songwriting, and we love that. But it also comes out in her music videos, which are amazing, and her her concerts. And so when I saw her on the Fearless Tour or the Red Tour, the Speak Now Tour or the Reputation Tour, oh my gosh, it's like a Broadway show, right? I mean, there are different stages and scenes and costume changes. Um, she usually has multiple stages that she performs on so everybody can see her. She even flies through the air, right, in an apparatus so people can see her. And then I think it started at the 1989 tour, but she was one of the first artists to have every single attendee have a a light-up wristband that as the music was playing, depending on the section of the arena you were sitting in, it would change colors and pulse. And so... Everybody in the concert venue was a part of 
the music and the beat and everything that was changing. And that was such a cool experience for her. And so you see this sort of narrative storytelling production through everything, especially in her live performances. Speaking about what she did in your example with the wristbands that she gave to fans and how she really involved them in the show, let's talk about her relationship with the fans in general. One of the things that Taylor Swift does well, but that she also does from a genuine place, is connect with and take her fans along with her. She has always had a wonderful interactive relationship with her fans. And I think as a musician, as an artist, sort of coming of age as social media was also coming of age. I mean, you have to consider her first album came out in 2006, which is about the time Facebook was launching. I, you know, I think she's joked about having a MySpace page. So she was exploring that ability to connect with fans um, at the same time that she was launching her music career. And that has sort of stayed with her. So there are a lot of ways through um, her different social media posts and inside jokes with her fans that she posts. She posts about her cats a lot, right? And sort of the joke that she's a cat lady. She also does it a lot through sort of her other elements of music. So back when we had CDs um, and mm-hmm. Swift would release her CDs, she was well known for putting Easter eggs and hints in the liner notes. And so you could, you know, for people who are listening who are too young, you would get a CD and it would have this little fold out paper that had all the songs and all the lyrics. And what she would do was strategically capitalize letters in each of the lyrics so that when it spelled out a word, you could figure out maybe who it was about or when it happened or um, maybe some other hints about the music. Um, she'll sometimes put hints in her Instagram posts about upcoming albums or song titles. She's even included different clues within her music videos about maybe, you know, when something's going to happen or what the name of an album will be. She loves that. She talks about how she, that's such a meaningful part of her relationship with the fans is the way that she um, she knows this music is about her relationship with them and her ability to sort of release it and have it be consumed. And so why wouldn't she want to connect with the fans in that way? Also, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes in real life. So she is well known for hearing about a fan through social media and maybe they're in a hard spot and she donates money to them individually. She's also very philanthropic, but she will reach out to individual fans and pay off their college loans or help them pay for hospital bills or something like that. And then perhaps the craziest thing she's ever done is something called her secret sessions. So starting with the album 1989, she said, you know what, we're going to release this and it's going to be critiqued by the media and everybody's going to talk about it. But I'm making this music for my fans and I want them to be the very first people to hear it. So even before it got released to news outlets or media outlets to do a preview, she would invite fans to her house and listen to the songs and she would make them food and take pictures with them. And, you know, the only thing they could talk about it, they just couldn't talk about the music yet until it was released. And these were not fancy people. These were just people who followed her on social media or had been to her concerts or who were on her fan lister. And so until COVID, um, you know, for the past couple of albums, she has 
multiple secret sessions for each album before it's released. And of course, I've never been chosen. It's my one, you know, sad regret in life so far. But um, but it could still happen. It could still happen. Um, but I just think that shows her her devotion to the fans and sort of the the purity of what this music is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be consumed and who it's for at the end of the day. I had no idea about that. And that's something maybe someone much, much earlier in their career, you might see them doing. So it's pretty impressive that she's at this level and on album number, whatever, in the multiples when she started doing that. So... I hope you get chosen one day, Katie. Keep it up. I hope so, too. <laughs> Maybe this podcast will be what helps me stand out as, as a mega Swifty. <laughs> so speaking of mega Swifty, what is it about Taylor and her music that does make you such a big fan, such a loyal fan all these years? Yeah, I think one of the things that makes me such a, a loyal fan and a devoted fan is As I mentioned earlier, I mean, Taylor's only a few years younger than me. And so as she's grown and is exploring different themes in her life, it matches pretty nicely with what I'm going through as well. And I mean, how lucky are those of us who have an artist or a musician or some other, you know, artistic sort of person that we follow to be able to have someone to put to word what we're feeling or what we're going through. And I think that's why a lot of people are connected to her music. I think sometimes Taylor gets the very unfair label that all she writes about is her love relationships and breaking up. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of Taylor Swift's music is that it explores so many diverse themes. It shows a young woman sort of growing up and exploring her friendships and loyalty and betrayal. It shows this young person learning about and and exploring her sexuality and then embracing it as she becomes a young adult. Obviously, she explores romantic relationships from relationships she hopes will happen to relationships that do happen to looking back on relationships and engaging in sense-making or narrative sense-making. I want to bring in some stuff from grad school. She also explores family There's a um, sort of a well-known thing in the Swifty world is how close she is with her mom. And there's a song called The Best Day, which is a beautiful song about her relationship with her mom and all of the values and all of the wonderful moments she shared with her mom growing up. And she sort of wrote it and released it as a surprise. Her mom, you know, didn't know. And it was a really nice present. Um, She explores sickness and trauma. There's a song called Ronin, where there was a mother who wrote a blog post about her young son's Ronin, who had died of cancer. And Taylor reached out to her and said, I'd like to turn this into a song and I'll list you as a, as a co-writer. The song is beautiful. I can't listen to it without crying. All the proceeds go to research. Um, she writes about other people's love stories and stories that she hears in the news. There's a song called Starlight that is about... Robert F. Kennedy and Ethel Kennedy's relationship. Um, a recent movie where the crawdads sang. She read it. She wrote a song about it. And she like emailed Reese Witherspoon and was like, hey, I wrote a song for your movie. Will you include it? And they were like, uh, sure. So she <laughs> finds inspiration from all sorts of different things. I think one of the things I love about some of her 
maybe more recent music and some of the decisions she's made as a businesswoman is that she gives voice to, I think, what a lot of young women are feeling, that we really maybe haven't found a way to express ourselves. So she has a song called The Man, which talks about gender bias. And, you know, she was a man, all of her successes and all the choices she had made would be respected rather than sort of critiqued. She's also made a lot of decisions behind the scenes that I think really speak to what I think a lot of young people hope they can accomplish in their own careers and with their own lives. She's realized that she's popular, she's made money, and so how can she use that power for good? I think we all wonder one day, if I were to have fame and fortune, what would I do with it? And she's definitely leaving a legacy of an improved situation for other people. So for example, when Apple Music was launching and her album 1989 was coming out, we knew it was going to be very popular. She told Apple in a very public Tumblr post, I'm not going to release 1989 to Apple Music because you're not paying artists fairly. And if this is not for me, I'm making money. This is for all the new artists who you're not paying fairly. And it took like a weekend and Apple was like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll pay our artists fairly. Um, when she signed with Universal a couple of years ago, a new record company, she made it part of her contract that Universal would do more for other artists that they would sign after her. And perhaps in the most boss lady move that you can ever imagine, you know, she was very young when she signed her record deal. And as is common, the record company owns her masters. So a master is the master recording of a song. So the ones that are on the CD. Um, she was not given a chance to buy the masters. They were sold to someone else. And it's really important to her as an artist to be able to own her masters. She's also in a really unique situation that she also has written all of her own songs. A single song that Taylor Swift has released that she is not the sole author or a co-writer on, with the exception of a couple of, you know, other artists that have asked her to be guests on, on their music. But when you are one of the co-writers on a song, you can re-record those songs and create a new master. So you may have seen in the news, or maybe you've listened yourself to some of these re-recorded albums that Taylor Swift is releasing. And the whole point behind that is so that she can own her masters. And back to her relationship with her fans, that could have flopped. You think people are going to literally buy the exact same album again? Oh, we did in record numbers. So she's re-released two of her albums and she's working on the others. So I know your question is about what are the things that draw me to Taylor Swift's music? It's stuff that's both in the music and it's stuff that is happening outside of the music. I know I mentioned earlier, you know, storytelling is really Taylor Swift's primary skill. And storytelling from an emotional perspective. Sometimes I listen to Taylor's music and I think this has to be one of the most emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent people that has ever lived because you know you're feeling something, but you can't quite figure out the words, right? And she can't. She can dive into a moment or a story or a relationship and really put to words what other people are feeling. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to her music. 
So the other day I was, there was some kind of playlist I was looking at and it had, I forget the name of the song now, but it had whatever the title was in parentheses, Taylor's version. Is that an example of her re-recorded? Absolutely. So any of her sort of earlier albums, you're going to see the Taylor's version or the TV after it. Um, and that's going to be one of her re-released albums. So, so far she's done Red and Fearless. So any songs from those albums. And, you know, Taylor, like probably most artists, writes a lot more songs than what ends up on an album. And back when she was first releasing these, they were, these were CDs. You could only fit so many songs. So she had all these songs she had written at that time that didn't quite make the cut. And so she's including some of those on these re-releases as well, which has been fun. And in another sort of boss lady move, um, I mentioned that she won Album of the Year for Fearless, which was her sophomore album. She was very young at the time. I think she was technically... 17 or 18 when she won that album of the year. And everyone said, well, there's no way that she led that album. She had a lot of co-writers and she had people producing. And so her very next studio album, which is called Speak Now, she wrote every single song by herself, right? So Taylor has this uh, ability from this business perspective, from this sort of character perspective, that she is in charge of her own story and she's going to write it. And what an inspiring message to other young people. And so I think that's another reason that people, you know, maybe they aren't mega fans of her music, but they can be mega fans of some of the ways that she lives her life. What's your favorite Taylor Swift album and why? So I knew you were going to ask this question and I promise, I promise that I tried to come up with an answer but I'm going to take it in another direction. So one of the jokes I kind of have with my friends when I'm talking about Taylor Swift is there's a Taylor Swift song for that, kind of like there's an app for that. <laughs> I think when it, it's whatever your sort of mood is or sort of what you're experiencing, you know, I think like a lot of people who have musicians they're a fan of, you sort of get into re-listening to an album for a while and you switch to something else. And I think that happens with me and with Taylor Swift's music. You know, we have a joke in the Swifty world. The album Red is, is a fall album. We always listen to that in the fall. And there's allusions to fall in there. And then there's other albums that you just kind of are feeling different ways and you want to listen to. But I think it's also hard to pick because there's such a good variety of, of topics and themes explored within each album. and all of her songs are just so good. So I cannot pick a favorite album, but I will say that what is playing in my car right now is Red Taylor's version, the re-recorded version of Red. That's a perfectly fair answer. So for anyone who is completely new to Taylor Swift, unfamiliar with her music, Again, you'll have to think about all of these albums, but what are some songs that you would recommend for them to start with just to kind of get their feet wet? So I think the first thing I would tell someone unfamiliar with Taylor Swift's music is there's a couple of things you need to know. So the first thing that you need to know is that the fifth song on every album is a special song. She started doing this kind of by accident, but then later purposefully started putting 
Um, song five is always a particularly emotional, vulnerable song that Taylor is putting out. And so if you are new to the Swifty world, I would say start with song five on every album. I'll also tell you that Taylor Swift is the queen of bridges. She is one of the most, again, because she writes her own songs and she can really see the narrative arc of a song. She is particularly good at writing the bridge of different songs. And there are some particularly good ones. So All Too Well. All Too Well is a song that probably most people would say is Taylor Swift's magnum opus. It is a beautiful song. It's the sort of reflection of a relationship that happened. And it's a track five. And the bridge is amazing. Um, Death by a Thousand Cuts is another song. And that is one that has a really great bridge. I mean, you want to just scream it in your car when you're listening to it. Out of the Woods, which is on 1989, a very fun song, has a great bridge. So if you're really into a strong bridge in a song, Taylor Swift is for you. Um, But if there are a particular couple of songs that I would want you to listen to, I think it's just going to depend on your on your mood and what you are looking for, because I promise there's a Taylor Swift song for that. But I will say, if you lean more toward country music, if you want to see where Taylor Swift started from and where she was at 15, 16, 17, Fearless is a great album to start with, especially the re-recorded one, which she now owns. If you're more of a pop person, 1989 is a wonderful album to listen to, and it's got something for everyone in there. So that's what I would say to that question. I like that there are little tips to know. Yeah. But guy <laughs> listening. Yeah. Guy I, and I tried to narrow it down, but those are at least, you know, a couple of, of uh, tips for people who are new to the Swifty world. Those are great. So lastly, Katie, what songs would be on your personal soundtrack? I tried to think of this and I got the list down to about 10. So I'm going to just zoom through some of them and I'll tell you some of the reasons why. Earlier, I talked about Picture to Burn. That one absolutely captures that sort of teenage angst and just, you know, anger that comes with a bad breakup. You Belong to Me was a very well-known song off of the album Fearless. And it's such a great look at sort of not being the popular girl, but having a crush on someone and, and wanting them to realize that you exist. I think that's something maybe we've all felt at some time in our life. Um, and it's also just really fun to sing. There's a song called Mean on the album Speak Now, and it was Taylor's first exploration of what do you do with a world that is constantly critiquing you and trying to tear you down? And it's particularly powerful. And so when I have a really bad day, um, I'm an academic. So I live in a world where I submit journal articles and books and people tear them apart and critique them and tell me I'm not good enough. So there's been a moment or two in my life where on the way home from work, I'll, I'll turn on the song Mean and, and direct it towards those nameless people. All Too Well, the song I mentioned earlier, is a song that I've experienced a lot of things that she captures in that song. But I also think it's such a, when you look at the history of that song, the fans' relationship with that song, let me tell you a little story. 
So that song, she released the album Red, which is the album that All Too Well is on. And it was never a single. All Too Well was never a single. But the fans loved it. And they kept telling her online how much she loved it. Now, they told you she listens to her fans. So she would play it in concert. And she would talk about how how it was painful to play it in the concerts because she was reliving this relationship that had failed. But over the years, as the fans just continued to embrace this song, she talks about how wonderful it is to play that song live. But right after she released that album, she let it slip in an interview that, you know, it, it'll never be a single. It's too long. I think the original version is maybe four or five minutes long. I never thought the fans would love the song like they did. And it's funny because the original song was like 10 minutes long. And then she just moved on in the interview. Well, we definitely uh, did not let that go. And we've been asking for the 10-minute version for so long that she finally, when she re-recorded the album Red, re-recorded the original song, and then also recorded the 10-minute version. And let me just say it was a powerful moment for the Swifty world because it was a deeper look at this relationship and what was happening. And she also created a short film of the music, um, which actually presented at the Toronto International Film Festival just weeks ago. So oh. I watched the All Too Well short film, which she directed, Taylor Swift directed, again, back to her ability to see narrative and storytelling and sort of call the shots. So All Too Well is definitely on my personal soundtrack. I think it's probably on every Swifty soundtrack because it just is. Um, there's a song called Begin Again. And this is a song about you've gotten out of a maybe a really bad relationship or one that damaged you or changed who you were. And you're not quite sure how to start again. And so it's her looking at what it's like to go on a first date after you've kind of been trying to heal from a really bad relationship. And it's so beautiful. And the thoughts and the moments she captures, you know, this guy laughing at her jokes, um, her being able to wear high heels again because her ex didn't like it, right? These beautiful things that I think we all go through, maybe after a particularly bad breakup. But it's just such a hopeful, beautiful song. couple more. There's a song called Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. And this song um, is Taylor Swift using the metaphor of high school to go back and think about, and this was released on the album called Lover, to go back and think about what's happening politically in our society. And it's done in this really beautiful metaphorical way. So if you're interested in seeing, you know, one of the things Taylor Swift gets critiqued about is she has all this fame and fortune and she doesn't speak up politically. But she does in her music. And that's one song where she definitely does. And then finally, there's a song called Invisible String. And it's a song thinking about how the person or soulmate maybe that we're meant to be with, is it fate? And so it's this idea that there's always maybe this invisible string that's connecting us to the person we'll end up with or whoever our true love is. And so it's just a beautiful thought, depending on, you know, if you believe in fate or not. So I think one of the only final things I talked about is, you know, I talked a little bit about how a lot of Taylor Swift's influences came from country music. And she talked about how that was a good natural place for her to start because 
There's one thing country music does is it really does narratively explore an emotion, a relationship. There are a lot of narrative elements there that, that I think lended themselves to what Taylor wanted to do with her music career. But since then, she's explored all of these other genres. And in doing that, she's also explored collaborations with so many different kinds of musicians and producers. She's worked with everyone from Kendrick Lamar to The Chicks, from, you know, Jack Antonoff, who's sort of the king of pop. He's a producer who's worked with Carly Rae Jepsen and Lord and other sort of pop stars to someone like Imogen Heap, who is this indie British artist. Um, they created a song called Clean, which is just beautiful. It's a beautiful song. And, and Imogen Heap wrote this really nice blog post about what it was like on a rainy day in London to have Taylor Swift come over to her house and they produced this song together. And there's all sorts of other collaborations that she's done. But I think anytime people talk about working with Taylor, they talk about how um, hardworking she is, how collaborative she is, how, how prepared she is, um, and just how brilliant she is in her songwriting and her musical abilities. I think that's just another thing to look up to and maybe want to emulate yourself as a fan is to say, look, you can work hard, you can achieve what you want, people can respect you for those things. And so I appreciate that about her. Katie, Thank you very much for your time today. And I so enjoyed hearing about everything you love about Taylor Swift and, and why you're such a mega Swifty, as you said earlier. Thank you for having me. I feel like I deserve an award for keeping our conversation under an hour because there was so much more I could have shared with you. But I really appreciate and enjoyed the opportunity to talk about why she is someone that I admire and that I connect with her music and her storytelling so much. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe in your favorite podcast app to stay up to date on episode releases. And if you have a friend that you think might enjoy this show, please share it with them. You can find links to episode resources in the show notes. Thank you again for joining me for Transcendent Tracks. I'll see you next time.